0: Hello everybody, Joe Federico here, your host of Quick Quippy Marketing. I'm here today because I have a lot to say. Of course, I have a lot of time on my hands, um, even with working full-time, which I'm extremely grateful for, and I feel blessed. I know a lot of people are struggling, not only across the country, but across the world, um, especially in my um, you know, family's native um, country of Italy. Um, which is leading me to discuss this topic today. But I'm trying to incorporate marketing with history. That's those are two of my main passions, and I'm going to read some excerpts from research I did recently, and I would like to bring to light the fact that we should be teaching our children skills as well during this time, and not just what is on the docket on Google, you know. Play and on YouTube and for schooling, you know, what's their what is part of their usual regimen as parents are still transitioning from, you know, full-time worker to full-time parent and full-time teacher. So I have a lot to say. Thank you for bearing with me. And I hope you share this rewind and comment and please use the hashtag Joseph A. Federico across all of my social media platforms to take part in that conversation and we're going to begin starting now. Hey, everybody. This is Take Two. This is your host, Joe Federico, with more quick quippy marketing. It has been a few weeks since I um, flied solo <laughs> on my own podcast. And there are many more episodes to come, not only based off of my IGTV channel, which started this whole evolution of the podcast quick quippy content on instagram uh, again cheap plug please follow along joseph a federico on instagram that's my professional page for business um but i am here to discuss a few things that i had seen on social media the tie-in is history and social media and those are my two extreme passions especially right now as i'm growing my career and my business um but I wanted to reflect verbally. I thought about going on social media, doing a post, an article, and I would do that. I've done that in past years, but I'm truly trying to evolve myself as we're dealing with COVID. And I didn't want to overwhelm inboxes and flood people's um, you know, platforms with more, oh, COVID this and COVID that, pandemic this and pandemic that. So um, we're going to start off by saying, first of all... Um, I'm trying to truly, again, evolve my habits, look to the past to look to my future, if that makes sense. Um, I believe in that strongly, that my ancestors are truly with me during this time, trying to reflect on what they went through, not only as far back as 100 years, that's about a little bit before that. The 1890s is when a part of my family, my maternal side, came um, over to America, uh, to New York, on the East Coast. And... I'm taking solace in knowing that we're survivors, and not only as you know ancestors in a family, but as a nation. And not to get too political, but I think the best is yet to come, but it has to get worse before it gets better. So, with that being said, um, I'm going to discuss really where this came from. Um, a person on Facebook. I'm not going to name or you know mention names. I never have, and I never will, specifically. But uh, a parent had posted a meme or a silly post um, piece of content regarding that they're sick of homeschooling and they would like to um, go back to the days of, you know, trades and crafts and education. And that being a part of their children's education, which we did in this country for many, many years and centuries, um, actually across the globe. And I personally would like to reinstate that somehow being a not being a parent myself but wanting to be a a dad in the you know in the near-ish future um i think it's important children should learn not only how to count money and bank and you know change a tire but also how to grow vegetables and how to cook a family recipe and how to sew and how to you know just evolve and grow in other ways then that's not just education in the in the formal sense right in the western world so um so, this woman had said that they wanted to teach their children, and I was up, I was on board for that. Until they had said to bartend, and I thought it was funny, but then I thought, what's wrong with teaching your children a trade? You know, having your child like become a tradesperson or a tradesman. Um, and as we all get used to this new normal, which I. Really fucking hate that phrase. Let's call it the new evolution or the new mindset or something else. Not new normal seems like, you know, first of all, things haven't been working for a very long time. Second of all, I think this had to happen in the sense where not that people are dying ever, but the sense that we have to reawaken. And I'm doing that myself. And I want to, this is what I do. My job is to evolve and educate and incorporate my lessons in my podcast and with my clients and so forth and so on, which is the point of this podcast, but also this specific recording. So I had traveled with first my sister-in-law and if you know me on social media, um, or you know me personally, my sister-in-law Wendy is also a history buff like I am. Um, my boyfriend hates it, but he, you know, he's a good sport. He goes along with it. Um, across the country, traveling, even on vacation, we do a historical event every time that we go somewhere. But my sister-in-law, Wendy, and I and Matt went to the Madison Early Trades and Craft Museum uh, about four or five years ago. And we learned, intricately learned, what children had to go through in America. They, at around the age of maybe between eight and 12, let's say, right? Or even for boys, maybe 14, 15-ish, ask they were sent off to work with a you know to learn a trade candle making being a taxpayer uh the you know the agriculture um you know sector uh, or something to start their profession and I found that fascinating and I wish I was sent off as a five to ten year old to uh, a mastermind of writing, right? Like an Anne Rice, for instance, or, um, a, 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 you know, printing house or something where I could not just get sucked into media and pop culture, but to learn. And I was not only forced to learn, um, but, but I loved to read as a, as a child. I loved to write as a child. I wrote my first, you know, newspaper article about Santa Claus, um, And Swamp Thing, I'm dating myself, not to give you my real age, but if you follow my personal accounts, you'll know that I just turned a certain age, mid-30s, but why shouldn't we allow our children to explore, A, what they're interested in beyond the normal quote-unquote education system, and we should put our dollars, our money where our mouths are as parents. Again, not saying people are doing a bad job. I know people may harp on this and on me in the comments and may not listen past this point, which I don't really care, but I am trying to educate and work through my own thoughts as far as evolving our children's lives from a person who wants to be a father someday. So that was the trades and and crafts museum. Then I went with my friend, manager. You know, you know her by name, of course, on this podcast and across my social media professional platforms. Melinda, um, we went to New Orleans last year. Um, I'm sorry, two years ago, 2018, 2019. We went to uh, East Setauket and Port Jefferson, New York, to learn about the spy ring during the Revolutionary War, and I was in tears. Every time I do something historical, I learn something about not only about our history, our founding fathers, our forefathers, and my ancestors. I get deeply involved. I get deeply excited to learn what they learned and how they got through things. And again, I'm taking solace in knowing that while we're under quarantine, under quote unquote lockdown, so I've taken um, the liberty to create, start to create a family history book. On a composition book that I had purchased Actually, my partner, Matt, purchased it for me At the Tenement Museum on the Lower East Side And I took an interest in learning specifically About one part of my ancestry line His name was Frank, uh, Frank Falciano And I learned that he was a watermelon vendor in the Bronx Back in the 1940s to 60s, let's say I'm still learning more about the time frame of when he did this. And I had thought that he, you know, had a wooden cart and he sold watermelons, you know, with his Italian accent in the streets. That's not exactly what happened, but I'm also romanticizing the fact that he was an entrepreneur and that's where I part of where I get that from my mother's side of the family. So I looked into it and of course I started to write and research information on the pandemic, maybe what he may have lived through in New York during 1918, because he was American. I'm the fourth or fifth generation American on my mother's side. So he was born in the US. And I'm not going to bore you with the pandemic and you know what happened, although I find that quite interesting. That might be another podcast if this goes well. But I wanted to learn more about street vendors in New York. And I had Googled the following a few days ago, actually, I googled specifically 1920s and 30s New York City food vendors on Google. And I found, which I'm going to speak to and read right from the article itself, the article is entitled, From Oysters to Falafel, The Complete History of Street Vending in New York City, dated August 10th, 2017, by Devin Gannon. So a little history onto me researching the history of this historical figure that was in my family. Taking it back to the Tenement Museum again on the Lower East Side, April 2017 on the food tour, this wonderful tour guide, Ari, described that street vendors didn't need a lot of money to start, first of all. They needed a basket, for instance, to hold their produce. Then they had to purchase produce, which didn't cost a lot of money. And then they had to sell the produce or product on the street. And I find that fascinating. We still see Street vendors and food vendors, not only at you know food truck festivals, um, or in Manhattan or other cities like Baltimore, um, or in Pennsylvania, you know, up and down the Eastern Seaboard, but it has a long history, and I am going to explain why. So, again, my great great grandfather was a watermelon vendor, and I am going to read now directly from the article, two excerpts. So, to fully experience New York City, you have to eat. I'm going to interject because I believe in that too. I'm a big fan of food, being an Italian and um, traveling the United States one bite at a time. So um, food is linked with the city and the city's social and cultural history requires an exploration of its endless cuisines. And while street food is not unique to New York City, the city provides some of the most diverse dining options in the world, with over 10,000 people making a living by street vending. So this tradition dates all the way back to the 1600s, which I didn't know, when European settlers enjoyed eating shellfish on the streets. Food vendors took on more formal incarnation in the early 1800s, on the Lower East Side specifically, and have changed the uh, change with every new immigrant group that's landed on New York's shores, all the five boroughs um, or all the boroughs from oysters to canishes to hot dogs and halal constant evolution. And also what brings us together, which I agree with a thousand percent. So the next excerpt popularity of push cards, is what the next section was entitled since the poorest of citizens ate oysters in New York. They were served to customers in the streets no matter what. While push carts, carts on wheels, have been a part of the city's streets for centuries, at the end of the Civil War, lots of immigrant communities started moving to the city, settling namely to the Lower East Side. In the 1840s, however, with the influx of Irish and German immigrants, tenement apartments started popping up all over the Lower East Side. Between the years of 1880 and 1925, 2.5 million impoverished Ashkenazi Jews immigrated to New York. To make ends meet, Jewish immigrants independently operated pushcarts. According to a 1927 Department of Public Markets report, the first pushcarts were set up on Hester Street in 1886. By 1900, 2500 open air vendors actively sold their foods and goods like knishes, kosher dill pickle, pickles, etc. as these unregulated markets, mini markets grew. So did their corruption and uncleanliness. Now we're not going to get into that. If you would like to learn more about the knishes and dill pickles, which I mispronounced, excuse me, um, which I had actually tasted on the Lower East Side, Food tour, when this whole virus passes in the next month or so, I would highly recommend putting your money where your mouth is literally and tasting New York City for what it is. You go around to the Jewish immigrants, the Italian immigrants, the German immigrants, the Hispanic American immigrants. And you, eat, you pay like a fee, $35, $40, let's say, for instance, which I think is well worth it. You spend about two and a half hours with tour guides and a very intimate group learning the history of the Tenement Museum, who lived in which neighborhoods at what time um, or time periods in history, and you eat the delicacies that that immigrant group brought to the Lower East Side at different times in history. So... I'm not sure if I had said this, I may have said this on the other recording. I'm taking solace in knowing that my family had gotten through this, you know, different pandemics, different world wars, Um, what Frank Falciano may have lived through during the Spanish flu pandemic. He clearly survived. He died. He purchased, um, he passed away in, I think, 1962 or 1963, what I just learned from my mother on the phone the other day, because we're clearly social distancing. I can't just run to my mom or fly down to Myrtle Beach and ask her these questions, but that's what Zoom is for, FaceTime and everything else in between, and including social media, most importantly. And I'm learning um, to preserve my family's recipes that have been passed down from one generation to another, including my Family's meatballs, which I never had tried until I had the time. I always said, sure, I'll do it eventually or I'll write it down. I'll see what happens. I don't want to purchase meat. I don't want to spend money on this or that ingredients, which is ridiculous because if we don't do it, if my sister and I don't preserve, for instance, and you have to do this as well with your family recipes, write them down, try them out, trial and error until they taste like a memory right? For from when you were growing up. And it's so important. I did the meatballs. I created, and not only created because I learned actually over Facetime with my father how to make our family's homemade pasta recipe. The, the next thing I would like to do is my parents' homemade pizza recipe, and then a meatloaf, and then learn how to make things that my family have you know has been eating for 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 centuries. And I think you hear it in my voice how excited I am about this. That a I did it and preserving my family's history and I'm really just proud of myself Um, and I hope you are too if you are taking this you know kind of taking the the pandemic time by the balls if you will pardon my French um, to learn a new skill and preserve your family's history so my questions to you are how are you spending the time are you learning a different recipe not even from history but with your family or one that you, you know, didn't have time to create and cook and execute in the past. And what is your favorite family recipe that you would like to learn if you hadn't done what I had just asked and how are you going to preserve your family's history going forward? So I hope everyone is well and safe staying indoors, wearing your masks if you have to go outside and really honoring the gift of time right now. So with that, I'm going to leave you, my listeners, with please tune in next time for more quick quippy marketing.